welcome to the 130th episode of the So Video Games Podcast, where we talk about any game at all, including new stuff, old stuff, and anything in between. If we are playing it, we'll be talking about it. Today, we are recording on May 6th, 2019. My name is Brad Galloway. I am the editor of GameCritics.com, and I am 50% of this here show with me, as always, Corey Motley, staff writer at GameCritics. How you doing, Corey? Hello, Brad. I say this with love, but today has been perhaps the biggest day of hurry up and wait I've experienced in quite a long time. <laughs> oh, yeah. I, I was just about to address that. You are 100% right. Uh, yeah. Uh, not to be crude, but I think cock tease is the order of the day today. So, <laughs> uh, yeah, what Corey's referring to, folks, is uh, we got together to, to, to pick a time and day to record, as we usually do. And I looked at my schedule this week, and I was feeling like, oh my god, we don't have any time to record. Uh, we were thinking we were going to do it Wednesday, and then I realized I had something on Wednesday, and then I thought about Tuesday, had something on Tuesday, had something on Thursday, had something on Friday, and then that's the entire week. So <laughs> in a panic, I ran to Twitter, and I'm like, Corey, 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 we got to do it today, or else we're not going to have time to do it. Thankfully, he was available, but then... I thought we we're going to do it earlier, and then that didn't work out, and then I'm like, well, let's do it later, and that didn't work out, and I'm like, well, no, no, back to early, and then back to late, and then, uh, like, long story short, <laughs> here we are, here we are, we managed to find a a blessed golden window in, in today, Monday, May 6th, so I'm glad that we were able to do something, because I we may be late, we may be early sometimes, but I don't think we've ever missed a week, we haven't missed a week, have we? I think we maybe have missed, like, one week, but I'm not positive about that. Okay, so maybe it's one, maybe it's none. We may just be really late sometimes. But, I, I mean, Corey and I are both super dedicated to the show. We both are, are dedicated to our listeners and to bringing a show at least one episode every week. So I was like, oh, my God, I don't want to miss one. Like, it's only been, it's only been two years. We can't start missing shows now. Like, we got to, <laughs> you know... You got to go at least a decade before you take a day off. Come on, man. Like, this is this is the real deal. So I'm glad we found some time. I'm glad we got together. I mean, it's going to be also, if you haven't guessed by now, a weird show because uh, we have a very small window to record. And oddly enough, I've been super busy. Corey's been super busy. I don't think either one of us is going to be bringing a ton of new game discussion to the table. There will be some. Probably a little bit of recap on stuff we've talked about. There will be some banter, but I think this is going to be one of our patented we don't do these too often but we seem to do them every other episode weird episodes so yeah how's that sounding Corey? um that sounds pretty good i don't think um i don't think i really have anything to add other than if he didn't specify already uh this will probably be a pretty short show because we don't have a lot of time to record um and i'm gonna be out of town all weekend so there's that but uh yeah, this will be a short and sweet, a little bit of games, a little bit of banter. Um, this is going to be a one-take show, so there's not banter after the show. It's just all one big thing. So uh, there you go. Exactly so. We're not going to do our usual routine. Corey will do his awesome job of timestamps. So um, I guess if you don't want to hear one of our weird mishmash shows, then I guess look at the timestamps. Or if you can't do that, then come back next week. Apologies for that. Uh, but at least we're getting something out rather than nothing, and I think something's better than nothing. So let's just, uh, enough with the uh, the uh, preparatory opening. Let's just jump into it. Let's use our time wisely. 
but before we do that, first, I just want to uh, come back to the game giveaway. I know we skipped last week because I forgot. My bad. Apologies to everybody. Uh, but we are back to giving away games every week. That's just what we're doing. It's a new thing we're doing. This week, I want to be really clear, we are giving away PC games this week. So I don't know which ones. I've got a whole, like, I've got a mountain of codes. I will pick out something good for you, I promise. Um, so if you want a PC game, all you have to do is email us and say, hey, I would like a PC game and I'm a listener of your show. That's all you have to do. Uh, literally nothing else. It's super easy. We'll pick a couple winners and you'll get a free PC game. Done and done. Thank you for listening, and we're all about it. So, again, PC this week. PC. Uh, okay, so let's just jump into stuff. I don't care if it's games. I don't care if it's banter. Let's just talk about something. Corey, um, I've talked for a little while here. Let's uh, let's hear from you, sir. What do you want to talk about first? Um, I Okay, so before we jump on, just to add a tiny note to the game giveaway, um, because Brad is getting very ahead of himself over here, uh, if you want to email us for the game giveaway, our email address is sovideogamespodcast at gmail.com. Um, oh, I was going to make him listen to the end to get that. <laughs> Got to force him to hear the whole episode if they want a free game. Come on, dude. I mean, I would hope that if they were longtime listeners, they would remember that. But I also don't hold it against them because I mentioned a while back that I was listening to a new podcast that was all about Target. And I remember at the end of every single episode that they run. And I mean, they're only like maybe like seven or eight episodes deep. It's a very new podcast, but they they say their email address at the end of every single one. And I wanted to email them at one point, And I remember thinking, I don't remember what their email address is, even though they say it at the end of every single show. But they have a weird email address. It's one of those, like, it's like a mailbag.com, or it's like, I don't know. It's like not, not a straight fit. It's not like the name of their show at Gmail. It's like something a little more complicated. So maybe that's why I couldn't remember it. But just trying to, you know, throw throw the listener's bone here. It's so video games podcast at gmail.com if you want some free games. We also say the the um, the email and other ways to get a hold of us at the very end of the show as well. Absolutely, absolutely. So we do that every episode. We'll say it again this episode. And like Corey just said, you can hit us up uh, at So Video Games. Wait a minute, fuck. What is it? So Video Games Podcast. It is, isn't it? That is it. Yes. God damn it! We've been doing so many episodes, and I still don't remember our email address. That's say so if you don't remember it, how do you? Expect I know that. How are the listeners going to remember? Ah, <laughs> oh, you were so right. You were so right. Okay, enough of this nonsense. Let's get to the talk. Corey, you're up. Banter or game? Go. Um, let's warm up with a little bit of banter first. Because um, I, to, to be completely frank, I only have one game to talk about. One, like, newish game that I've been playing, um, which I'll get to later. But um, I, I'm, I already talked about it a tiny bit, but I guess I will flesh out my story about me going out of town this weekend. So today we are recording on Monday. It is Monday evening um, for both... So Video Games Studios West and So Video Games Studios Southeast. And um, I'm going out of town this weekend because uh, there is what I have read online, which obviously means it's true. Um, (laughs) I think it's either either Houston, Texas, or it's Texas's biggest, like, Comic-Con type event. Um, It takes place in Houston. It's called Comic... Palooza, which is kind of a silly name, but it's the kind of silly name that I can really get behind. And it's, I, I guess it's like one of their biggest uh, conventions in the entire state. And it's kind of like, I mean, it's kind of very Comic-Con-esque in that it meshes basically a shitload of stuff together. It has comics, it has anime, it has video games, it has TV, it has movies, it has sci-fi. And they have, um, 
they tend to have a lot of pretty high profile guests at Comic Palooza, and I don't, I never really go to cons for the guests because I feel like a lot of the times when I go to cons in New Orleans, there's never really, I mean, there are some pretty high profile guests now that I think about it, but there's never anyone that I'm like super interested in seeing or like waiting in line for a long time to, um, to like, you know, pay them to like sign a Blu-ray for me or something. I'm just never really that into it. Um, but they've had like, I think last year or the year before, like Tom Holland, who plays the new Spider-Man, he was at Comic Palooza. So that was like a pretty big deal. Um, I would have liked to have seen him, but uh, he is not there this year. Uh, but this year, a few notable guests are um, Dr. Beverly Crusher from Star Trek Next Generation is going to be there, as well as uh, Lieutenant Worf, um, who are Gates McFadden and Michael Dorn. Um, also, Wilson Cruz, who plays on the new Star Trek, Star Trek Discovery, is going to be there. Um, and, like, Amelia Clark from Game of Thrones is going to be there. And there's, like, a bunch of other people. But it's the, the rest of them are pretty, like, obscure, like, TV actors that I don't really know. Um, but I'm not going to see the guests, as I said before. I'm actually going because uh, if you've listened to probably any episode of the podcast ever, you will know that I tend to photograph cosplay uh, pretty often. I mean, not really that often. Maybe, like, a few times a year. But the Spidey team, which is a group of... Spider-Man cosplayers, they do more than just Spider-Man, but they're kind of known for their Spider-Man cosplay. Um, they are kind of based in the Louisiana area, and they tend to go around to some of the bigger cons that are in like New Orleans and in Baton Rouge and Lafayette and sometimes in Texas because they're kind of spread out among like the, south, the southern area. Um, they're all going to Comic Palooza, and something that's really cool is that there's a guy who used to sort of like lead the Spidey team, but he moved to Colorado about a year ago or so to, to, to take up a job there, and he's coming back for Comic Palooza. So like we all, or I, sh I don't, I don't want to say we because I didn't really have any hand in it, but they rented, I guess like some kind of like it's like apartments that have been like repurposed as sort of like live-in hotels or like hotels that are like more than just like one tiny room. So they rented out um, this sort of like apartment style room or like building or whatever for the entire weekend. So I'm pretty excited because there's going to be a bunch of us there. It's going to be, I'm going to drive out on Friday. I mean, it's like a Friday through Sunday kind of deal. Um, but it's cool because like we've got a place to stay and it's supposed to be better than just like, you know, like a one room hotel room. There's going to be a bunch of us there. Um, a few of the dudes that are going to be there I haven't seen for maybe like, I don't know, maybe almost a year. Um, so it'll be kind of nice because I've been to a few cons and just like they haven't been around because one of them lives in Houston and he doesn't come back to New Orleans that much. Um, so it'll be nice to see everybody again. But something else that's kind of exciting is that I decided that for the very first time maybe in my life... Um, I'm actually going to cosplay while I'm at oh, Comic-Palooza. Oh, shit. I know. And, like, don't don't get carried away because this is a pretty, like, low bar for entry cosplay. Like, I'm not, you know, going to, like, build an... I'm not going to, like, have Patrick 3D print, like, an entire freaking outfit for me with, like, a headdress and, like, gauntlets and stuff. What, what I'm planning on doing is... Um, because it kind of fits in with what I do at cosplays, because I'm always walking around with my camera, I'm always taking pictures, um, I'm hanging out with the Spidey team a lot, because I'm sort of like their like, go-to um, photographer. Um, I'm going to be 
uh, like Daily Bugle Peter Parker for my cosplay. Uh, are you for real? <laughs> That's awesome. Yeah, it like makes perfect sense. So, and plus it's like a really easy, or it will, it will be a really easy cosplay for me to do because basically all I'm going to do is wear, um, I'm going to wear red, I think, I hope I still have a pair, I haven't checked, but I'm going to wear red um, Chuck Taylor All-Stars. I'm going to wear like khaki pants and I have like this kind of like red and blue and tannish like plaid button-up shirt i think i might go buy another one because the one that i have is like seven years old and i still like it but it just doesn't quite fit me as well as, as it used to so i might um i might go buy another one but that's a little bit beside the point a plaid shirt and i bought this like it's kind of like one of those like skin tight dry fit like workout t-shirts and it has the um spider-man homecoming spidey suit uh like kind of like pattern all over it but it's just a t-shirt it's not like the entire bodysuit or anything so i'm gonna wear that under the plaid shirt and then i'm gonna uh, unbutton the plaid shirt like almost all. i'm gonna have it tucked in but i'm gonna unbutton it almost all the way so like it's kind of like a superman thing where like the uniform is under it um and i'm gonna have my camera obviously and one of the spidey team cosplayers has a spider-man hat like a baseball cap and i'm thinking about wearing that but i'm not sure if i want to or not and the last thing which is maybe the coolest thing um i don't know if it is or not yet because i haven't finished it but i had patrick look up some um some 3d print models and he 3d printed me like the little web shooter that goes on your wrist it's the playstation 4 version from a marvel spider-man on ps4 and it kind of looks like i mean i don't really know how to describe it it kind of is almost shaped kind of like a battering almost but it's pretty clear that it is like a web shooter and I have to paint it because it comes out 3D printed white. And I bought some paint for it the other day. So I'm going to paint it red with black accents and maybe a little bit of silver. Um, and I need to buy some kind of like strap to put it on my wrist. But I'm going to have one web shooter on my left hand because I hold my camera in my right hand. And I'm worried that it's just going to be cumbersome if I have web shooters on both hands. And plus I'm like half in disguise and half not in disguise. So I'm going to have a web shooter on my wrist. And I'm going to have like the Spidey shirt underneath with sort of like a daily bugle. Sort of like you know, young man, like businessy kind of outfit over it with just like a plaid shirt and khakis and uh, some red uh, chucks. And because I'll be taking pictures, it'll be like pretty, you know, in theme with what I do. So it's not anything super over the top. It's not really that complicated. I only had to buy like a couple things for it, but I'm really excited. I'm planning on wearing that, wearing that all day Saturday whenever I go. And I'm hoping that it'll be like kind of a hit despite like not a ton of work going into it. Well, that is amazing. Uh, I look forward to seeing pictures of you with the rest of the Spidey <laughs> team uh, because that just has to happen. Uh, but cool. Sounds exciting. I've seen your pictures of the Spidey team. You've gotten some really amazing shots over, you know, however long you've been photographing them. It must be, I don't know, a couple years by now, right? Uh, yeah, it's been about... Year, year and a half, two years? I think, um, I think this July will be the two-year mark because I met them at MechaCon, which is a July convention. I think I met them two... Mechacons ago. So I think it'll be two two years this July, I think. Excellent, excellent. Okay, well, definitely cool. Uh, I think cons are really fun. Uh, cosplay is really fun. Your photos are really good. That sounds like a good time. Hopefully you will have some stuff up and we can talk about it on the show. And we will, of course, as we always do, give our uh, Instagram and uh, social media feeds, which I'm sure many of your photos will be uh, available on there, correct? It's true. Most of, not most of them, <clears throat> but a lot of them will be. Cool, cool, cool. Excellent. Well, that sounds like fun. You're coming back, what, you said on Monday or something or Sunday night? Uh, yeah, Sunday night. I'm planning on leaving. I might try to leave work a little early on Friday to get out there because as it stands, 
I think I'm going to be like the last one to get there on Saturday because Houston from New Orleans is about a five to six hour drive, which I'm pretty okay with. Like that's kind of long, but it's not too long. Um, so I probably will get there sometime between like five and 7 PM on Friday night, depending on when I leave. Um, and then I'll do the con Friday night. I'll be there all day Saturday and uh, all day Saturday morning and Saturday night and then Sunday. And then I'll leave sometime Sunday to come back to New Orleans. Excellent. Excellent. I look forward to a full report. Um, all right. Let me talk about something. Oh, you're talking about something you're going to do. Uh, let me talk about something that I just did. Uh, and we can stick on the banter topic for now. Because, folks, I mean, most regular listeners, I'm sure, already know this. But we usually record banter first as kind of a warm up and like to catch up with each other after the week or whatever. Uh, but you guys hear it last because we assume that most people want to hear about the games and, you know, game oriented stuff. I mean, we do promote ourselves as a game video game podcast. So it would be kind of weird to talk about our personal lives for like an hour before we got to the games, which we actually did a few times. I was going to um, say, I, if you're a long time listener, you'll yeah. know that we had a stretch where we pretty much did every show exactly like this, where we did banter for an hour, games for about an hour. And then at some point we decided to flip them so that the games would come first. Yeah, I'm glad we did. I'm glad we did. But we kind of have this pattern of recording. So let's stick with uh, banter for now, and we will get to the games, you know, as it pops up. But um, something that my family and I did yesterday uh, was I went to the Translations uh, Film Festival, uh, which was all featuring all uh, transgender-focused films uh, here in Seattle. It was hosted uh, at the Gay City Organization. It's called Gay City. It's like a resource place for people who are gay in uh, Seattle. You get books and resources and referrals and all sorts of stuff, you know, medical care if you need or something like that. Big organization. And it was also hosted by $3 Bill Cinema, uh, which focuses on, as I'm sure you can tell, like queer films and uh, different things like that. So we went to this yesterday. It was, I think, three or four days. We only went to one day because I uh, just couldn't make it all that. And I was uh, volunteering at the festival. Uh, so it was really cool. We saw lots of cool people. Um, the person who organizes the event is named Sam. Very cool guy. Uh, really nice, warm, welcoming. It was really just good energy good atmosphere and we saw two movies the first one i'm not going to mention because to be perfectly frank with you it was not great it was really boring <laughs> um i thought it was going to go somewhere it didn't go somewhere and i ended up having to leave in the middle because my son was getting a little antsy uh and when we came back gina my wife said that we didn't miss anything and she actually seemed a little bit angry because the movie sucked so oh, that was no. not great i'm not gonna i'm not gonna shit talk that one but that one was maybe not gonna be the winner of the festival but the next movie that we saw was called um Jack and Yaya. Uh, and now, Corey, I sent you the trailer before the reco- before we recorded the show. Did you get a chance to watch that trailer? You sent me the trailer, and I kid you not, I watched it on my phone immediately as soon as you sent it to me. Okay, excellent. Let me give a little bit of a backstory here, and then we can just discuss briefly. So this is a documentary. It is, I mean, when I heard this, what it was about, I couldn't even believe, like, what a coincidence it was. But basically, this movie is about two kids who just randomly live next door like uh, one person already lived there the other kid moved in when they were like two or something like that uh and what happened was on one side of their fence was a girl who actually was a trans boy and on the on the opposite side was a boy who was actually a trans girl so like when they were like two and three or four or whatever you know a boy on one side a girl on the other side and they each kind of recognize in each other that they are both a little bit different from everybody else and they both kind of instinctively recognize that they kind of have the same thing going on. And so it was just pure chance that they lived together. And then they grew up. Neither family moved anywhere. They both stayed where they lived. 
And for like 30 years, they grew up and supported each other on this journey from being, um, you know, a child who does not feel they're in the right body to uh, an adult who has transitioned. I mean, it was like the most incredible thing to see. I mean, it must have been like a one in a, in a billion, 10 billion chance that these two people would live next to each other and they would also be best friends and also that they would recognize in each other what was going on. I mean, it seems like too far-fetched to even be real, but it like literally happened. I mean, it's a documentary. So the movie was two hours of kind of like snippets of their life taken over the course of a year. And it just kind of shows what they were going through, like the struggles and the hardships and, you know, some of the surgeries that they went through and just what it was like focusing a lot on the families. And I thought it was really great um, because the dad of the trans man looked like redneck beer drinking sports nut you know like you think you know what he's going to be like and then they talk to him and he's like super warm super accepting super supportive you would never imagine that at first glance this guy was like 100 percent beside uh behind his son uh and it was just really inspiring really heartwarming to see something like that pretty incredible pretty incredible actually um, so it just so happened that that was the final film of the festival and they were going to have a big closing celebration afterwards. And the stars of that movie came to the movie. They sat one row ahead of us. And so we sat through two hours of these people's lives with the actual people one <laughs> row ahead of us. And then afterwards we had some Q and a, and so we, you know, uh, we got to ask questions. My son asked, uh, he made a comment and said he really enjoyed the movie, got through the whole movie. I got a hug from both people. It was really fun and it was just really cool and warm and awesome. And it was just really like amazing. So, um, really super cool experience. I'm glad that we went and, uh, I definitely recommend it if you're in the Seattle area. I think they're going to do it again in October. I mean, different films, but you know, another kind of uh, gathering like that. And I believe it's going to be like a yearly sort of a thing. This was, I think the fifth annual. So fairly new as far as these things go, but, um, yeah, it was a great time. So questions, Corey, or what did you think of the trailer or thoughts, anything? Um, I thought <clears throat> whenever I watched the trailer that it looked pretty, um, I mean, I, it obviously looked pretty good. I feel like we just need more stuff like this and sort of like leaking into mainstream society because I feel like most, especially like Hollywood movies that we get that happen to feature like trans characters or something like that are usually they end up being played by like straight white men and yeah, there's yeah. kind of like a big backlash about that because it's a weird you know you have like whitewashing the idea of whitewashing where it's like characters who are supposed to be you know like black or people of color and their source material being played by white people um and then you have sort of this sort of like I don't even know what you'd call it, like straight washing or something where it's like, oh God. You, <laughs> you have I think like, you just coined that. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> where you have like gay characters or, um, you know, trans characters or something like that. And, you know, they're played by straight people. Yeah. Yeah. Um, yeah. and you also run into it when you have like, uh, you know, like disabled people in movies, then you have like totally, able bodied totally. people playing them. Um, and you know, I mean, there's something to be said for like, you know, actors, you know, obviously you're supposed to be like acting what, you know, that's kind of their job to like adapt themselves as actors to sure, like whatever sure. source material. But at the same time that like, there's gotta be a wealth of like, you know, people of color, of trans, of LGBTQ, of all of that, you know, going on in the acting space and it's basically being pushed to the side so that you can have like a whole, pri uh, I, I, oh my God, I can't even talk. So you can have a high profile, like white dude play the character and then like go on to win an Oscar or something. Cause that's happened like numerous times. Sure, um, sure, totally. So I like the idea of this kind of thing because it actually features like 
real people, you know, real trans people, real LGBT people. And it's nice to see, um, you know, just that journey in a different way and, you know, having the movie show that in a respectful way. And, um, and I, I like the bit about, you know, the parents looking like, you know, they're kind of like rednecks or whatever. And then it, you know, they, and that's not necessarily who they are because I remember back whenever, um, you know, back whenever like, um, that stupid ass show was on TV, Duck Dynasty. And there was like this big, I mean, the show was like a million seasons deep and there was this big backlash where like one of the guys and it like to, and for anybody who doesn't know what it, what it is, it was some show on, it was like a network TV show about this, like kind of like old redneck family who were like big into hunting and they had invented some like duck call or something. And that's how they like came into their money. And it was just like a dumb reality show about them. And like way down into the seasons of the show, like one of the guys that was in it had said something that was homophobic or like racist or something like that. You can obviously tell that I have my facts 100% straight here. And there was like (laughs) a big backlash about it. And then there was this crowd of people that were like, oh, well, have you seen them? Like, obviously, that's how they're going to act. Like, do you know where they're from? Like, oh, they're old white men from the South. Like, of course, that. Of course, they're going to be racist. Of course, they're going to be homophobic. And it's like, you know, like, just wait. Like, just wait a second here. Like, just because you're an old white man, just because you're from the South, just because you sort of, like, are built on all of these stereotypes of what people would assume is, like, a Southern old racist white dude that doesn't mean that that's what you are. And so it's nice to see a movie like this where, you know, it's kind of a similar thing where it's kind of like, you know, maybe like an old, like sort of redneck appearing dude kind of going against that. And the sad thing for me is like, for a lot of people out there, it takes knowing someone directly who was either a person of color or LGBTQ to really warm up to that and start to like, you know, be friendly toward the, towards those people and be understanding. And I experience that all the time. Like I've met many, a straight dude who, you know, weeks or months after I've been hanging out with them for a while, they'll, you know, say something about like, oh, well, you're the first like really like gay friend that I've ever had. Or, you know, I used to think a certain thing about gay people and now I think something different because I've been friends with you and I sort of like see how things go. So, like, on one hand, it's unfortunate because a lot of people require that, like, firsthand contact with, you know, someone who's different than them to um, to really, like, have empathy for them. And that shouldn't be the case. Like, you shouldn't have to know a gay person to have empathy for them. You shouldn't have to know a black person to have empathy, you know, for people of color. But unfortunately, that's sort of, like, the way a lot of people operate. Um, so the more we can get, you know, uh, movies like this or documentaries or whatever sort of into the mainstream space to sort of give like people a touchstone for you know uh, like other different kinds of people I guess or diversity or what have you is definitely better in the long run for for just humanity in general I guess so I I like I like this and I'm glad that Seattle is hosting this kind of thing yeah it's really cool and again I mean I feel really fortunate that I live in the city that I do because I think a lot of really wonderful things happen here. And I feel like, you know, we're a pretty fucking blue city and we're pretty left leaning, which I think is great because that lines up with my beliefs. And I mean, I didn't move here intentionally because of that. It just kind of worked out that way, which is good. Uh, But I'm really happy and proud that something like that could happen in the city. And I think that you're absolutely right. I mean, I think that most people, if you don't know someone of a certain group, I mean, and you know, like they always say, like, you know, you're afraid of what you don't know, like you fear what you don't know. And so, 
you know, that's true of gay people or Muslims or black people or whatever. Like if there's a certain group that you don't know, it's just, it seems all too easy for the media or politicians or anybody to like spin these horrible tales and people get whipped up and, and fearful. And it's just like, everybody's just, they're just people, man. Like everybody's people, maybe their skin's a different color. Maybe they love somebody, you know, other than you or whatever. And it's just like, things can be different, but they're still just human beings underneath it all. So, I mean, if nobody, if, if, if people can't have one friend from every group to kind of get past all their personal biases. <laughs> um, I mean, I do think that spreading a film like this around would be great. Um, and one guy in the audience that night even said, you know, I really think this is an important film and I wish that you could send a copy of this to every school and every high school, and, you know, in every town and every county and every small town so that those kids who are growing up, you know, gay or trans or whatever could see another, at least see another person who was like them or who was going through what they were going through. And I thought that was really kind of a powerful statement so um anyway that is a movie called jack and yaya it is uh currently making the film festival rounds i believe they said they're going to toronto next toronto film festival i don't know where it's going afterwards they said they were going to try to get it on streaming services i think they really should so i mean keep an eye out for it or maybe you know follow them on instagram or go to their website or something let them know that there is uh, demand for this kind of movie wonderful movie really heartwarming really touching really human um i'm really glad that we went to go see it so uh, really, really good stuff. Um, I'm going to throw one more movie thing out here since we're talking movies, and I'll turn it back over to you, Corey. Uh, have you ever seen The Dark Crystal, Corey? I don't even know what this is. What? Really? We've never talked about this? I don't think so. Holy shit. <laughs> the Dark Crystal, made by Jim Henson, and I think it came out in like, oh man, I don't know, like 86 or something. I mean, it was like pretty well known because the whole movie... Fantasy movie designed uh, by Brian Froud, who is a famous uh, fantasy artist. And the whole thing was um, puppets slash Muppets in the movie. Uh, no, no. It's kind of dark, dark imagery, dark fantasy. Mm, not ringing any bells for me. You have never even heard of the Dark Crystal, seriously? I don't think so. Oh, my God. I am, like, <laughs> I am totally blown away right now. I cannot believe it. It was super famous at the time. It was a big departure for Jim Henson, it was kind of like um, a pet project of his, like one of his dreams come true. It was kind of a box office flop because it was not what people expected. It was dark. Um, not super dark, but, you know, way darker than The Muppet Show or Sesame Street. I mean, it was kind of like, you know, teen, dark, not gothic, but just like, you know, people die and stuff happens and the monsters look pretty scary. And, you know, uh, you should definitely like Google it or like check it out. I think it might be on Netflix or something. You can uh, rent it perhaps or someday. You know, I know that you're... You're always so up on watching all my recommendations. I know you just put that at the top of your list. Uh, but The Dark Crystal is very famous, very famous film. Um, it has a very big following. It became a cult classic, although a box office flop. And I love it. I mean, I've seen it a million times. And I just showed it to my youngest son for the very first time uh, yesterday or the day before. And it was really cool because I love watching movies that I love and sharing those with my son. And he loved it, too. Uh, it's just a really cool family film. If, uh, I, I would love to hear from our listeners if they like it, if they, you know, what they think of it, if they think it's a favorite of theirs. Um, just a great film, and I'm really happy that it's still held up because, you know, you go back to those old movies that you like. Sometimes they hold up, sometimes they don't. Uh, sometimes something really embarrassing happens in that wasn't embarrassing at the time, but this one, I'm, I'm proud to say, still held up. Um, I, I thought the effects were still great. The story is still interesting. It's just a really good, kind of, I put it in the same basket as, like, the never-ending story, 
or um, you know something along those lines from that time period. It's kind of in that same group of films. So uh, happy to share that with my son. Still holds up. Definitely recommend it if you want the darker side of Jim Henson, which I mean um, I'm sure not everybody has seen. I mean clearly you haven't seen it, but uh, it is good stuff. Good stuff, man. I'm so surprised you've never heard of it. I'm just I'm beside myself. Well, I just um, I've, I've been IMDBing it on my phone as you've been talking about it to see if it. Um, like is jogging my memory at all and it's actually not jogging my memory at all i legitimately don't think i've ever heard of this but wow in actuality um what i thought you were going to segue to because i um saw this on imdb as i was uh searching is that it appears that netflix is doing a series based on it yeah i i am i actually forgot about that but yeah they are doing a like a, a sequel i guess or something I don't know if there was ever any of official talks. I know that there have been a few books that have been kind of like, quote unquote, continuing the story or telling alternate stories. I don't know how official all of those are. I mean, they must be they must be licensed by the, the Henson Company, of course. But I don't know that many fans of the movie ever tracked any of that stuff down. Everybody really knew it. But yeah, when I heard that Netflix was bringing it back, uh, and thank you for jogging my memory, I was so shocked. I mean, that seemed just like out of nowhere. So yeah, very excited for that for sure. Yeah, it looks like, according to IMDb, it's going to be... Season 1 will have 10 episodes, so it'll be like a show instead of a movie. And there's no... I can't see any release date or anything, so I don't really know if it'll be any good or not. But at least they're doing something with it. I mean, you, I feel like you can always oddly count on Netflix to just bring weird things out of... From retirement or out of the dark or to have 8 million productions going on at the same time for different shows. So it looks like this is one of them. You can also count on Netflix to cancel really good shows that don't deserve to be canceled. <laughs> that seems to be their fucking steez lately. Like, no thanks. Kind of mad at Netflix right now, dude. Do you want to tell everybody why you're mad at Netflix? Oh, you know, I think we talked about um, One Day at a Time got canceled. Did we not mention it? I thought we mentioned it. Did we not talk about this? Uh, I think I was thinking about your favorite. I'm going to get to that one. Okay. I'm going to get to that one. <laughs> I got multiple, multiple reasons to be mad at them right now. They canceled One Day at a Time. I'm, I think I may have mentioned it once, but it was a remake of an 80s sitcom, but recast with a Latin family, and it was just a really good family show. They talked about issues. It was funny, uh, pretty approachable and inoffensive and in a good way. Uh, that one got canceled, and I was very shocked that got canceled. Everybody I know who watched that really liked that show a lot. They also, which I know what, what you were kind of hinting at, just canceled motherfucking... Uh, uh, I'm blanking on the name. I can see it in my head. It's the Santa Clarita Diet. They uh, can't believe they canceled that show. <laughs> that is like the best show they had on Netflix. I loved it. With um, What is the name of your guy that you like? Uh, Timothy Oliphant. Yes, Timothy Oliphant. I know you got your dad vibes for him. And then Drew Barrymore. <laughs> they are a great couple. Their, their chemistry was awesome. The writing was so funny. It was dark. It's about, uh, I think I mentioned it, uh, husband and his wife becomes a zombie. But as long as she eats enough human flesh then she stays normal and so how do you deal with that how does your relationship continue really dark really funny i love that show and i cannot believe they canceled it they are just like on a canceling spree lately i mean i know people were kind of worried when they canceled like all the marvel shows like you know um luke cage iron fist uh, jessica jones and daredevil people were pretty surprised but they're like well you know disney's got their their direct channel coming up in november so maybe disney's recalling all the marvel properties since disney owns that and people are like well that sucks but okay there might be a good reason for that but they just seem to be on a canceling spree lately which is really just kind of weird i mean i've heard some people say that they'll option a show for two or three seasons 
and get the actors for like dirt cheap. And then if it becomes successful and the actors want more money, then they just fire them, which to me sounds like a really fucking poor business plan. But then again, um, Netflix, I think is still in the red. They've been in the red for several years running. Like even though they're a big company, famous company, millions of subscribers, they actually are like in deficit every single year. So maybe that's got something to do with it too. But, um, anyway, yeah, I'm fucking pissed at Netflix right now, man. They, (laughs) ah, good shows being canceled. Don't make no sense. Corey. Well, I don't like I it, it. The thing that I find fascinating is like obviously I don't know anything about how like Netflix sort of like their analytics or data works, but I would love to just spend one day in like a Netflix boardroom and just like see like what you know. Oh, we have to have X amount of user or like X amount of viewers over X amount of shows in order to keep this you know series going or something like that. Because the thing that I find fascinating is like <clears throat> like Netflix they have like. You know, there was a time when they had, like, two Netflix original shows. They had, like, House of Cards was the first big one. Then they had Orange is the New Black. And then before you knew it, it was, like, every week they there was a new Netflix original. And at first it was TV shows, and then they started doing full-on movies. And they even have, they've even had stuff that's been, like, nominated for Oscars and nominated for Golden Globes and stuff. So it's, like, turning into this giant um, thing but the idea that they're sort of, like, in the red and in debt is really fascinating to me because, like, like they, on one hand, it's like they're making so much stuff and producing TV shows and movies costs a shitload of money. So, like, obviously, I, I don't know where, like, they're, I mean, I'm sure there's some, there's ways of them getting their money back through, like, you know, advertising because, I mean, people paying $16 a month is not going to fund all of those productions. So I don't really know what all, like how that weird, like vortex of money and funding and, um, you know, and uh, consumer subscriptions and all of that stuff works. But I would just be really fascinated to know, like how all of that works and how all of it shakes down or if it even matters at all and makes any sense, because it's just fascinating to me that they're like, kind of seems like they're canceling stuff left and right. But at the same time for every show they cancel, there's like, five brand new shows that are in production and it just seems like you know basically like the president of netflix is in a boardroom and he just puts a blindfold on and throws darts at a wall and then whatever he throws the darts at that's what he's canceling and then on the other wall whatever he throws darts at that's what they're producing next and it's i don't know i'm sure they have a bunch of teams and a bunch of method to their madness and all that but it just seems like completely indecipherable to the average person, or at least to me it does, on what they're greenlighting, what they're canceling. And I would just like to be a fly on the wall in their offices for like a week to just kind of see how it all shakes out like internally for them. I bet you it's just a bunch of like eight or nine like really old white guys and a big pile of cocaine <laughs> on the table. And they just like whatever happens, happens, you know. But um, speaking of Netflix, uh, just a quick shout out. Uh, one of my friends actually got cast in a Netflix show who was gone, going down to L.A. right now to film. Uh, wanted to give a shout out to uh, my friend Daniel Durant. He is a deaf actor. Uh, he has been on Broadway a couple times. Uh, he's been on a few other shows, a couple of movies. Uh, but he is going to be in an upcoming Netflix special called You. I don't know what it's about because it was under embargo. But he's like, oh, yeah, I'm going to L.A. I'm going to film this thing. It's all exciting and cool. So keep an eye out for that coming up i don't even know when it's going to be aired but he's he's in the process of making it now so that's coming up so exciting stuff uh exciting stuff there congratulations to my good friend daniel durant nice guy 
Um, I don't have anything else to banter, Corey. Do you have more banter, or should we transition into games? What do you think? Um, I want, before we move into games, I want to hear you talk about your son's swimming lessons. Oh, okay, sure, sure. Um, have we talked about him before, or have we not? I think you just brought up that he was taking them, or actually, I don't even know if it was on the show, maybe it was via DM, but I have an embarrassing swimming lesson story, so I just, like, want to hear how your son's doing, and then I want to piggyback and talk about my embarrassing story after. Absolutely, absolutely. So my son, so I am a terrible swimmer. Um, in fact, I've almost drowned twice. I came <laughs> very close to drowning two separate times. It's very scary. I don't recommend it. I don't like it. I don't like the water. And I wanted my son to have um, skills that would keep him alive uh, where I almost died. Uh, so I don't want him to have that experience. I want him to be a much stronger swimmer than I am. And my wife is, of course, on board with this 100%. So we have been, we've tried different swimming lessons over the years, and they all just have not really taken. We tried private one-on-one lessons. We tried group lessons. We tried just community center. Like, nothing really worked. Nothing really seemed to really get through to him. But I heard, uh, we homeschool, as I mentioned before. Uh, one of the other homeschoolers I was talking to said, oh, my God, you got to go to this place. It's the best. And so uh, we went down there, and they're like, okay, so it's kind of spendy for what you get, and the lessons are only 15 minutes long. And I'm like, oh my God. what? I'm like, how? I don't think I even heard you correctly. You said 15 <laughs> minutes? And she's like, yeah, I know. It sounds crazy, and you're going to think you're getting ripped off. But she's like, it's the best swimming lessons we've ever gotten. I put both of my kids through it. It's great. They're both, like, really strong swimmers. It's literally 15 minutes. I'm not even kidding. And I'm like, that's, I couldn't even process how that even worked. But I'm like, I want to get this taken care of. I want, you know, him to be able to, to swim and to survive. So we went down there. I signed him up. I was, I mean, honestly, dude, I was real skeptical. I was like, man, this is, what is, what is I'm getting taken for a ride with this thing. I'm going to pay a bunch of money. And it's a, this is a joke, 15 minutes. What the hell? Uh, but sure enough, we get down there. First couple, like within the first two or even three lessons, he's already swimming like a thousand times better than he was before. He's like actually a pretty good swimmer now. He like can go underwater and like, you know, he does like the little arm strokes. And <laughs> he, when he got there, they evaluated him. And at first uh, they could see what he could do and saw what he what level he was at. And they they graded him as being like a, like a, like sea turtle advanced. And uh, <laughs> within three classes, he uh, upgraded to like actual full on. He's a seal now. So I'm very happy that he upgraded to a higher level of mammal. That's awesome. Uh, but yeah, this place, I mean, the real deal, 15 minutes once a week, and he's already like made so much advancement, so many strides. Real proud of him. He's doing such a great job. But uh, yeah, that uh, that swimming is, is the real deal. So tell us about your uh, strange swimming story, Corey. So whenever I was a younger child, probably when I was like <clears throat> maybe like 10 or so, um, I was, I had a neighbor friend who was like three houses down the street who had a swimming pool. And at a certain point, my family got a swimming pool, but it was like whenever I was like 15 or something. So she was like the cool friend who you wanted to have because she had a pool and you could like go swimming whenever it was 100 degrees in the summer. And, um, and luckily, I mean, we weren't like using her for her pool because we generally um, liked her and got along with her. And so like we would always go hang out at her house, we'd swim and everything. And I was like a pretty good swimmer like my parents sort of wanted to enroll me into swim lessons because like I was already doing well so they were like well why don't you get like actual training I guess I'm pretty sure that's the way it went it's been a long time so hopefully I'm not like I'm sure I'm mixing some of these details up but so they enrolled me in swimming lessons and the same exact thing happened whenever I took gymnastics lessons whenever I was younger and I went to this class. It was an outdoor pool at, like, a community center. 
there was a guy that taught it. There were probably about 10 of us in the class. And it was like the first or second day um, he had us do an exercise where he had those little like discs that you throw and they sink to the bottom of the pool. And, you know, he wanted, he threw it out a little bit and it was probably only like 10 feet away from us. And he wanted us to swim out and then go to the, you know, hold our breath and go to the bottom of the pool and grab the disc and then bring it back up. Totally reasonable exercise for people learning how to swim. And I knew how to swim like, okay, at this point. And for some reason I had like, I don't, I don't know if I had, like, a panic attack or if I had, like, ang- like crowd anxiety because I generally am not one that's prone to, like, having, like, panic attacks or anything. Like, I'm pretty sure I've only had, like, two panic attacks in my life. And, and I, for some reason on that day, I was, like, really nervous and I was really scared. And I don't know if it was because it was in front of all these people I didn't know. I think that was probably it because I was in this group. My parents were not there. And I was in this group where, like, I didn't know anybody and suddenly I had to, like, do something. Kind of felt, like, weirdly, like, gym class where it's, like, you're tasked to do this athletic thing in front of a bunch of strangers. And you're, like, not very good at it. And right there in the water, in the middle of everything, I just started crying. I, like, broke down. (laughs) I cried. I panicked. And I was, like, 10 and I was young because I just, like, shut down and I didn't know what to do. And I remember, like, the swim instructor dude, you know, like, putting his arm around me and being like, hey, what's wrong? Like, is everything okay? You know, like, you don't have to do this. You can sit down. Like, it's okay. And, like, totally, you know, by the books, did everything totally right. And I just, like, I don't know what was wrong with me. I mean, I was young. I was scared. I, if I had been in that pool by myself with, like, my mom on the side of the pool, I probably would have done anything. But I think it's because I was in front of all these strangers. And I have, uh, or, like, at the time, I guess, had, like, anxiety about doing, I mean, you're a kid, like, doing this kind of stuff in front of strangers. And I just totally broke down. And, I mean, it's not a very fulfilling story. And it's not a very um, happy story. I mean, the good news is that I, I think I actually stopped going to the lessons. And I, you know, went on to be, like, an okay swimmer. Like, I would always, you know, play in the pool and everything. And I was never, I, I've been in a lake a few times. And I've never really, like, been in danger of drowning or anything. Like, I, I can always stay afloat and swim well. But for some reason, when it came to swimming lessons, I just panicked and I started crying in the middle of the pool in front of all the kids that I didn't know. And it was really embarrassing. And that is my traumatizing uh, swim lesson story. So um, thank uh, the swim gods, thank Aquaman that your son has not done that in the pool at his swim lessons. <laughs> uh, I, will, I will give Aquaman my personal thanks. <laughs> All right, crazy. We, I think everybody's got a real scary or sad swimming story. So swimming is just bad sometimes. I think it's fun. It can be great in the right circumstances. But I think everybody gets traumatized in the water at one point or another. So <laughs> let's put this behind us for now. Let's move on to the games. Um, I'm sure people uh, are just dying and waiting for us to get out of this this nonsense and start talking about some games. Um, I have just... Uh, so Okay, so it's been a very busy week, like we said at the beginning of the show. I have not had a chance to really start anything new. I've got a bunch of things lined up. But I didn't want to start anything if I didn't have enough time to really dig in, right? Because you start something and then you get distracted, you get pulled away from it, you forget what you saw, you forget what you did, you forget what you're doing, you forget what the controls are, and then you got to just start over. It's kind of a waste of time. So I've just kind of gone back to a couple things because I just didn't have that much time. Um, I'll cover those in a second, but what have you been playing? You said you had one thing to talk about. I do. I have, um, I've been playing something new that I bought on a whim on Switch, um, 
I feel like I really hyped up the fact that I bought a Switch like six months ago, and since then I've played like three games on it, which is terrible, but I bought um, <clears throat> a game called Toby the Secret Mine. Have you heard of oh, this? I have heard of it, and I think we reviewed it at Game Critics. I didn't play it, but I have heard of it. It looks, it's like a 2D indie, kind of looks like, um, not Inside, but the one that came before Inside. What we what came before Inside? Limbo. Looks like Limbo, doesn't it? Something like yes. that, like Black Silhouettes, something like that? It looks exactly like Limbo, as a matter <laughs> of fact, <laughs> which is the first thing I thought whenever I started playing it. So to give a tiny bit of background, I always do this whenever I find these indie games, because like in the grand scheme of things, a lot of indie games kind of look similar to each other, for better or worse. I bought this game thinking, and I bought it on sale. It was like 2 or $3 on the Switch. I think it's normally like $14.99 or something. Um, but there's a lot of games on Switch that hit ridiculous sales that are like anywhere from like $1 to $5. And if a game is like, even if it only looks like mildly interesting, if it's like sub $4, I'll probably buy it and try it. Um, and, uh, but this is a pretty old game. It came out in 2015. Um, it hit Switch on PC in 2015. It hit Switch in 2018. So it's a little bit newer on Switch. I mean, obviously it could not have come out on the Switch in 2015 because the Switch was not a twinkle in Nintendo's eye in 2015. Actually, it probably was. But um, So I bought it, and it's a side-scrolling um, kind of platformer. Looks alarmingly similar to Limbo, and I kind of wasn't sure if that was going to be a good or a bad thing because there was a point in time where Limbo came out, and it was like, the hot shit and everybody played it and everybody loved it. And it was like, it was like limbo and that other game. I cannot remember the name of it. The one where you had like the time mechanics and it was like the side scrolling Mario kind of game. Braid. Braid. Yeah. It was like limbo and braid back in like 2006 or whenever those games came out. Yeah. Those yeah, were yeah, like yeah. the juggernauts where those came out. And that was like, they paved the way for like indies on, uh, on consoles. Cause indies had been a thing forever, but like there wasn't a huge indie presence on consoles. And like back on the 360, when those came out, they came out, they came out swinging, everybody loved them. And then there was like a swath of games that came later that kind of like imitated those games or at least I don't even know if they imitated them but it was like everyone compared them to those games like if it was any kind of moody side-scrolling game everybody would be like oh it looks like a limbo clone or whatever and and I mean I don't know if I was guilty of that at the time or not but coming back to Toby the secret mine and that's t-o-b-y colon the secret mine this like is unmistakably similar to limbo in visuals because Everything that's happening in the foreground is pitch black. It's very silhouetted, like in Limbo. However, the big difference is that in Limbo, everything in the background, the whole game is black and white. Everything in the background is kind of this, like, film, sort of, uh, sort of, like, distressed film-looking um, background that's kind of faded and out of focus. And in Toby, the backgrounds are colorful. So that gives it a pretty nice contrast of having, like, sort of like the creepy black silhouette in the foreground, but in the background it'll be like a blue sky or it'll be like rainy with like an orange sunset or something. But despite the color being there, it is still kind of creepy. Um, but it is, I'm playing it on Switch and it's basically just a 2D platformer where you are kind of running around, you are jumping on things. I don't really know what the point of the game is because also like Limbo, it doesn't really set up a story. You, you kind of play as this like, child looking kind of caricature he's not doesn't look superhuman he's got these like 
kind of horns or kind of ear kind of things poking out of the top of his head. And you're kind of chasing down these like bigger, like every once in a while you'll come across another silhouetted character who's probably like two or three times bigger than you. And it has like glowing red eyes and it kind of looks like he is holding like other children captive in these cages and he'll like run away from you and you're supposed to chase him, but it's never like an adversarial thing. Like he never really attacks you or at least hasn't so far as I've played. Um, so a lot of it is just sort of atmospheric platforming. And then there's like every once in a while, you'll have these tiny chase sequences where you like see one of those sort of like boss figures and you run after them and like the musical kick up whenever you see them and it'll get a little bit exciting. Um, but despite the game being kind of like a limbo knockoff, it's actually all right. Like I've, it's pretty, I mean, there's not a whole lot to it because it's just you running side to side, jumping. Sometimes you're pulling objects around. Sometimes you're flipping switches and solving little puzzles. And something that I like about it is that it doesn't, uh, unlike Limbo, it's not, the game is not out to get you all the time because something that was big about Limbo at the time was that basically if you weren't careful, like every 50 steps in the game, you could die in one hit from something. And it turned into a game where you had to sort of like learn the traps of the game in order to go back and play it or like, you know, checkpoint and then go back and remember, oh, I have to jump over this hole or, oh, there's thorns on the ground. And if I run into them, I'll die immediately. Whereas Toby, I mean, you still die in one hit in Toby, but a lot of it is not as adversarial. I mean, there's still pits that you can fall in, but there's not like dogs that chase you, that rip you apart. And there's not just like really sort of like grim insta-kill death sequences, um, at least not that I've seen so far. So it's sort of like, I mean, although it's still creepy, it's not as creepy as Limbo, and it's like a little bit more kid-friendly, and it's rated E10+, which is a little bit surprising to me. I mean, I guess it's not really grim enough to be like rated teen or anything, although the teen rating is like pretty much anything goes in the teen rating except for like excessive blood and like, boobs and you know saying the f word a bunch um so like i don't know if i would recommend this for kids because it's like still kind of scary but it doesn't have that sort of like sort of like veneer of awful like foggy depression that limbo has because limbo although i love it it's very kind of sad and scary and grim and kind of hopeless in a way whereas toby feels a little bit more hopeful and a little bit brighter uh, and some of that is from the gameplay some of that is from the the visuals you know the colored backgrounds or just like the lightness in which it controls because the main character feels a little more um sort of like gymnastic in a way than the character does in limbo because in limbo it feels like you're kind of trudging along to get through areas but in toby like his jumps are kind of more um springy he can jump higher, he can jump farther. His jumps are a little floaty for my taste. It's never anything bad, but sometimes if a platform is small, it's easy to overjump. And I've fallen in a handful of pits accidentally because I have overjumped. But um, the game still checkpoints you. The checkpoints are very generous. So if you die, you're never going to play anything more than maybe like five to 10 seconds before you died, which is nice. It's very good about checkpoints. Um, I don't really know what else to say other than what I've said so far. I mean, I've been liking it so far. It's not like groundbreaking or amazing or, you know, the best side scroll I've ever played. But for something that I came to for like $2 that looked like a knockoff of a game I love, I'm enjoying it surprisingly more than I thought I was going to whenever I came to it in the first place. 
Cool, cool. Um, I've never played it uh, because I have a real aversion to games that look too much like other games. Um, <laughs> and I know that's maybe not the most fair thing to say, but... And, of course, nothing new is under the sun. People get inspiration from many sources, and there are such things as tributes and homage, and et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. But if I just... if I, I mean, this is especially bad in the indie scene, not so much in, in, in the console, like, at large scene anymore, but this is really guilty in the indie scene of where... Some really cool game will come out, and then just like you said, like a bunch of people will copycat it. I just, I, I just don't want to play any copycat. Like once I have the good experience with with w- whatever one broke through, that's it. I'm done. I'm done with that game. I'm done with that style of game, and I don't want to play anything else that's even remotely like it. Um, so maybe that's fair. Maybe it's not fair. But uh, Limbo was great when I played it. I really enjoyed it. That was definitely the breakthrough game when that came out. I believe it was the 360 when that came out, wasn't it? That seemed right to you. Yeah, that's right. Yeah, like on Xbox Live or something like that. But that was great. There were a string of games that came out that looked exactly like it. And there still are games coming out. Like like literally at least one or two a week, I get uh, <laughs> a pitch from some indie dev- I'm not even kidding, dude. Not even kidding. Not exaggerating. At least one or two a week where I get some pitch from indie developers who are like, hey, please check out our game. And I look at it. It looks just like Limbo, dude. Like literally. like, And maybe it's not the same. But that style was so iconic when it came out. I mean, that set the standard like that imagery is limbo's imagery. Like that's just, it just is like, I'm sorry, but it is. And so anybody coming afterwards is in the shadow of that. And I just don't want to play anything that even looks even close to that. So, um, I saw Toby in this, in the secret mind or the hidden secret mind, hidden mind, uh, secret mind, secret mind. And I'm just like, I'm just not even going to bother. Cause it looks just like limbo. <laughs> I'm sure it's going to be pretty close limbo. I don't want to play that again. Like I I'm done with that. So, um, and we don't review those games. It takes a lot for a developer to convince me to review a game that looks like Limbo these days because there's just so many of them, and just you're just you're just not going to repeat that. So um, I'm glad you're enjoying it. I know that other people have played it. Uh, I think a reviewer, if memory serves, was Sparky Clarkson, and he did not like it. I don't think. Um, so even for two or three bucks, I probably wouldn't pick it up. But I'm glad you're enjoying it. Um, you are. Absolutely correct. It was done. I'm looking at the Metacritic page. I have it up right now. Um, fun fact on the PlayStation 4 version of this game, which came out in July of 2017, there are only nine people that have professionally reviewed it. And the Metacritic score is a 50. The highest score is 70. The lowest score is a 20 and that was game critics score oh was it really <laughs> <laughs> oh my god <laughs> so sparky really did not like that game um i haven't read that review since it ran i'll have to go back and read it and see what he didn't like about it but yeah man i just i just limbo was one and done and i'm done i don't want to do it anymore and i don't think i will play any more games like that but i'm glad you're enjoying it um i have not played a lot like i said i've been kind of sticking with games that i already know because i don't want to start something new so mostly uh, I know it's kind of a kind of a joke, but I kind of went back to Fortnite. We never talk about Fortnite, um, but it was my number one most played game last year, which is incredibly ironic. Um, but season eight is almost over. Uh, I've been playing uh, with my son, been playing uh, with my friend Cyril Lachelle, who is known as Defunct Games. He lives not too far from me. Uh, good guy. He also has uh, YouTube and uh, his own website. Check him out if you want to check him out. Uh, but been playing and went through, did the weekly stuff, got all the rewards, uh, had a fairly good time this season, and now we're just about to close. And something that's really cool that I like that Fortnite does is they do these little events once in a while 
last, I think earlier this season, there was like a concert where I guess some EDM guy named Marshmallow. Are you familiar with Marshmallow? Real, real life musical person. <laughs> I've never listened to his music, but I am. He's one of the many EDM artists whose personality is built around him wearing some kind of helmet during performances. Totally, so I've like, totally. I've seen pictures of him, but I've never actually listened to his music before. So he gave, he gave a concert in Fortnite. Um, and that apparently was like one of the biggest online attended things, like in the history of online being a thing or something like millions and millions of people logged into Fortnite to go and watch his, I don't know, it was like five or seven minute concert uh, for free in the world of Fortnite. And uh, previous to that, there'd be like little different events popping up this, this season. They had like this kind of like running series of puzzles that people could interact with or not. I didn't interact with them because I just am not really that into it. Uh, but a lot of people were trying to figure out what the puzzles were. They figured out the puzzles. Um, they did a, a series of things that kind of triggered some things. And then, a big piece of the map was a lake and they revealed that underneath the lake was like this giant metal vault and the vault was locked and there was like this countdown uh, above the vault. And it was like, Oh, you know, this vault's going to open in like nine days and seven days and five days. And like, everybody was real excited about it. Uh, the vault opened up, I believe it was last Saturday. So a couple days ago. And uh, we kind of, I'm kind of embarrassed to say that I put all my plans on hold for the day because I wanted to log in at that exact time because I wanted to see what would happen uh and i did and it was actually pretty cool like the vault opened it was like this giant vortex of energy everybody that was there got sucked into it we went into like this alternate dimension which is otherwise totally inaccessible in fortnite and there was like these um six objects that the developers had removed from the game for one reason or another like there was like a, a gun a certain type of gun there was like an airplane you could fly there was a sword uh, a couple other things and when you got sucked into this room, you could choose which one of these things you wanted to be returned back to the game. And so millions of people logged in, millions of people got sucked into the vortex, millions of people were choosing which thing they wanted to go back to. And then once everybody had made their choice, we got warped back up to the surface. A volcano exploded. Oh my God. Lava went all over the place. Like, like giant, like fireballs came shooting out of the, the volcano and it blew up sections of the map. So like, parts of the map that have been there for like a long time, totally obliterated, just gone. So when you go there now, like it's just gone, like it's like a wreck. And one of the places I hated the most on the map, one of my, my probably the place I hate the most is called Tilted Towers. It's a series of really tall, um, like apartment buildings. For whatever reason, people flock to that place and it's just like a death pit. Like you go there and <laughs> just, you're just going to get killed. I hate that zone. <laughs> Never go there. I, I desperately try to avoid it. And that was the place that got hit with the biggest fireball and the whole fucking thing got leveled in a nuclear blast. Oh. And I was so fucking happy that that fucking <laughs> thing is gone. It's just like a smoking hole in the ground now. And I'm like, yes, that fucking shit pit is gone. I hated, hated Tilted Towers. So that was really a big perk for me. I was really thrilled to see that got done. And then, and then it was over. You didn't get any reward. There was no experience. There was no little badge to earn. It was just a thing, just a thing to do that you... You got it to be, to be a part of. You can talk to your friends about. It. I'm talking about it on the show. Just a neat little, neat little experience. I think it's really fun when they do that. So, um, I I think I'm pretty much done with Fortnite for now. I'll probably jump in next season as usual, and uh, things will just roll on. But kind of a neat little way to wrap up the uh, season eight. So good times, good times. Every single time I say this, every time you talk about Fortnite, and I every time I will never not say it. Every time we talk about it, but. If you had asked, back whenever you first brought Fortnite to the show, whenever it had first launched and you talked about it, 
if you had asked me if I ever thought Fortnite would be where it is now, where it was then, because then it was, it wasn't the whole like one versus 100 thing. It was like the sort of like crafting shooter thing. It was like a a different thing. I still am just so shocked that it is what it is now and that they've done so much with it and take it in in such a new and in many directions uh, based on where it was to start. And I mean, that's like some incredible, like, I mean, cause game development, it's like not game development is not an easy thing to do. And the fact that they can adapt things so well and just like really kind of turn on a dime to introduce new game mechanics and these events like that. And, you know, to kind of put the battle royale thing in, in the first place, and just, like, to see what it's evolved to at this point compared to where it was, you know, a couple of years ago whenever you first brought it to the show, I still just can't believe that it's it's not only gone that direction, but that it's, like, the most successful game on the planet now still. So it's still just shocking to me that that's, that that's where it is now. Yeah, I remember playing it. I got, you know, I got to play it in pre-release. You know, I know it says early access now, which is like a load of horseshit. But um, be like even before it came out, I was in the first round of people who got to play the original, like like you said, base building PVE mode. And I was like, eh, it's OK. It's kind of boring, whatever. And I bailed out of it after like a week. Um, and yeah, I was just like, oh, my God, like the Battle Royale thing popped up and it just kept rolling and rolling and rolling. And like, you know, yeah, speaking of uh, being able to turn on a dime and, and adapt to things, um, they had a specific Avengers event uh, with time to the release of Endgame. Did I did I mention this already on the show or did I not mention this? No. The last thing I heard about Avengers was I remember like Thanos being playable during Infinity War around that time, but I hadn't heard anything about Endgame. Yeah, yeah. So he was playable like uh, a while ago. I don't remember which Avengers movie it was, but he was playable for a while. Um, so they brought that mode back and they added like different weapons. So you could you could either be um, Thanos's alien army and you kind of like rotate. People will randomly become Thanos. And so he's like super powerful. He can shoot like a laser beam and punch people and they die in one hit and stuff like that. But on the other side of the team, um, you could find Avengers weapons. You get Hawkeye's bow. You can get Iron Man's gauntlets that uh, let you fly. You could get Captain America's shield and Thor's hammer. And so, like, it was kind of like Avengers versus Thanos event for a while. Um, Pretty cool. Like, so when stuff like that pops up, I think it's really neat when they capitalize on the zeitgeist and kind of, you know, incorporate real-world events into things. And, of course, I mean, as people know, in Endgame, they did feature Fortnite when they were in Thor's house. I mean, that's what they were all playing on their TV. So I thought that was a pretty (laughs) cool little wink and nod. But, uh, yeah, I mean, definitely biggest game in the world and uh, still playing it pretty, pretty often, even though I don't really talk about it that much. But, uh, yeah, it's definitely a thing, that's for sure. Um, I've only got one other game to talk about before we wrap. Do you have anything else you want to uh, bring up before I uh, bring up my last game? Well, unless you want to hear me talk about Deus Ex Human Revolution, which I played a little bit last week, oh, which I'm sure man. you absolutely do not. <laughs> you filthy bastard. I can't believe you brought that game up again. Well, you were, here, you're the in thing. that. Here's the thing. I know it's fucking old, and I know I've played it like once a year or whatever, but I've been playing it on PC, and I know I've even talked about this before. I... At a certain point after getting a gaming PC, I remember buying Deus Ex Human Revolution because it goes on sale on Steam sale like multiple times a year and it gets to the point where it's just like a few dollars. And so I bought it and I bought Deus Ex Mankind Divided as well. And for some reason, I played through all of Mankind Divided on PC and I did the whole mouse and keyboard, the whole shebang. I didn't plug in a controller. So I felt really proud of myself for 
beating Mankind Divided, the whole thing with, um, you know, mouse and keyboard only controls. And the thing that I like about playing games like these, and the same kind of goes for Hitman um, in on PC, is that despite the fact that I'm not a wizard with mouse and keyboard controls, the game lets you play so well at your own pace that it's not like a constant razor-sharp shooter fest where you have to, like, you know, totally master the controls. And I've been slowly chipping away through Deus Ex Human Revolution um, probably for about a year now or so on PC. I have not beat the whole thing. I have the director's cut version, which adds the Missing Link DLC directly into the game. And if you're somebody who has never played the game or if you tried the original version that was not the director's cut version and you didn't like the boss fights or whatever because the boss fights were a huge thing whenever it came out and everybody hated the boss fights. The director's cut version basically fixed all of that and it added like the Missing Link DLC directly into the campaign, which is like, I mean, depending on how quickly you play through it, it can be like a five to six hour DLC. Like it's not just a tiny little, you know, piece. It's, it's a substantial chapter. And last night, or not last night, earlier in the week whenever I played it, I just, like, I had a really busy week last week. I know I told you about this. I had basically something going on, like, every night of the week, and that's why it took me forever to edit the last show and get it out. And it was, like, at a certain point whenever I would get home or I would get done with whatever I was doing, like, like yeah, I technically had some free time to, like, sit down and edit the show, but I was like, you know what? I just don't want to do it. Like, it's late. I don't feel like getting into that. So I would just, like, decompress with some Deus Ex Human Revolution. It's sort of like a weird... You know, like some people take a hot bath and put bubbles in, <laughs> or some people drink a glass of wine and read a book. And meanwhile, I'm playing Deus Ex Human Evolution. You put in like... virtual augments to relax. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, so I've been like slowly working my way through Deus Ex Human Evolution on PC, and I'm pretty close to the end of it now. I'm probably, because you have like Singapore, and then there's the last, the second to last boss fight, and then you have Panchea, which is like the last chunk of the game. And I'm about. I'm almost all the way through Singapore now, so I probably only have about two or three hours left, depending on how quickly I want to play it. And it never fails that it's one of those games, much like Hitman, where I will play it. I've played Human Revolution, god damn, probably like 30 times at this point. Like, so many. I played the original, played the director's cut, played it on, I'm working on it on PC now. I've just played it over and over and over and over and over again. And no matter how many times I play it, you know, even if I tell myself, like, oh, well, this time... I'm going to go in guns blazing and I'm going to shoot everybody up and I'm going to use the shotgun and, you know, I'm not going to use silencers or whatever. Every single time I never do that. I always sneak. I always use stealth takedowns. I try not to kill anybody. I use, you know, the hand-to-hand incapacitation takedowns. I don't know what the deal is. I just cannot... Like, the game is ripe for so many different ways to play it. You can blow up everybody. You can kill all the civilians. You can do whatever you want. You can, like, strong-arm your way through the whole game, although it's not recommended because Adam Jensen, despite being made of carbon fiber, is actually a pretty sensitive guy who dies pretty quickly. Um, but I always play through it stealthily. <laughs> yeah, he's a sensitive guy. Um, <laughs> despite despite his gravelly voice. Um, he <laughs> And so I, I always do it stealthily, and I just... There's something just so satisfying in games like that, of doing it over and over again and just getting in and out without anybody knowing you were there, sneaking past everybody. And at this point, I've learned a lot of the best routes to get through certain areas, you know, like, oh, there's a vent hidden behind this door, behind this crate, and if you take the vent, then you can go up into the ceiling and just blow past everybody. You know, it's just like there's little stuff like that where people who are playing it their first or second time probably wouldn't know that kind of stuff, so it's really satisfying to kind of, like, exploit those 
the shortcuts and stuff. Um, but I just, I don't know. I mean, I don't, I've talked about this game so long. It's such an old game and I love it so much. And I wish that uh, Idis Montreal, I know they're supposed to be working on whatever Avengers game they're making. Um, but I, God, I wish that they would just like make a new one or make a remake of the first one in their engine or, and or, and slash or, I would love, I'm going to sound like that guy. I would love for Deus Ex Human Revolution to be on the Nintendo Switch because I would oh just God. I knew you're gonna play, say I would play I through it gonna all over that. again. On the oh, you are sick. You need, you need help. You need an intervention. I know we have talked about this. I'm sure I've asked you this before, but um, what, remind me, you never finished the first, like the, the first Deus Ex. Like what? What is your relationship with that game? You don't like it very much, or I don't. I don't recall. Tell us, refresh your memory. <laughs> the very first one, I have never finished it. I have tried to play it, like probably like five or six individual times, and it started back in probably like 2010 or 2011. I tried to play it on a laptop that I had whenever I was uh, in college, probably like three different times, and even whenever we got the desktop computer, because I've only had my gaming PC for about a year and a half or so. Um, I remember thinking like, oh, I have a cool gaming PC. Like, I'd love to try it. And I talked about it on the show briefly a while back, but I downloaded it. And I even downloaded, there's this like big mod version that has like updated textures. And apparently it has better like keyboard inputs and stuff like that. And the thing about the first one is that the controller support does not work very well. Like you have to download a mod, I think to even use a controller support, like for a PS4 controller or whatever, and even then, it doesn't work very well. And I'm so bad with mouse and keyboard controls. And the original Deus Ex is a lot more difficult than the new ones. Like, there's not a lot of room for error. So, like, if you mix, you know, me being not great with mouse and keyboard controls with an old game that's, like, not as easy, it just kind of ends in a disaster. But the last time I tried it, I did get farther than I'd ever gotten before, which was probably about three or four levels in but i don't really know what that means in the grand uh and the grand scheme of the game and you know who knows maybe one day i will finally go back and finish it i'm not really sure but it's just like it's one of those games that's so i know it's like a touchstone landmark game you know one of the best pc games ever made of all time or whatever but it's just so old that i have a hard time going back to it and that's why i kind of wish that I mean, I know if Idis Montreal made a remake of it, it wouldn't be, like, a beat-for-beat beat exact remake, but, like, I kind of wish that they would give it, like, the Resident Evil 2 treatment, where it's, like, pretty much the same, but it's with updated mechanics and updated models and updated voice actors. Like, I really wish they would do that, and, I mean, who knows? They probably will never get a chance to do it or whatever because Mankind Divided didn't sell that well, but I, I try as I might, I have never finished the original Deus Ex. Okay, okay. Yeah, now that you're saying it, I do remember we talked about this before. Well, I mean, I hear you. That's, I actually did play that one, and I did finish it, and I did like it. I think I played it on PS2. Is that where it was? Or was it PS1? It can't have been PS1. Uh, I think it was on that a PS2 version, yeah. Yeah, I think it was PS2 is where I played it. And it was rough, but I got through it, and I really enjoyed it quite a bit. Um, but I, I, I hear you. I don't know that I would have the gumption to play through it today, like, with all the time that's passed. And even with mods and stuff, sometimes those old games just don't hold up. Like, for example, um, I really, really, really want to play um, Planescape Torment. We might have talked about this in the show. I feel like that's really the only... It's like that and Vampire the Masquerade are probably the only two games that I feel like are really missing 
from my um, repertoire of like you know critical games that every critic should play. <laughs> but goddamn, dude! Like I went back to play Planescape, <laughs> and it's just so old. Like it was like, oh, and I'm not a PC guy to begin with, right? So like mouse and keyboard is not my jam. Um, I tried to just get through it, and the interface was terrible, and just like just the mindset of like how used to those games you have to be to understand how they work is just like, Oh my God. Like, and I hear some people say it's like the best written game of all time. And I, I, I don't doubt them. I mean, I, people I totally respect love this game and I've tried multiple times to get through that. I have not gotten very far. I think I probably get like an hour in and then I quit. Um, so I hear what you're saying. I don't, I don't fault you at all, but, uh, that I do have very fond memories of it. I don't think I would like it now, but playing it back in the day when it was brand new on PS2, I got through it and I did enjoy it back then. So, uh, All right, moving on. One last game, then we're going to get out of here. I just wanted to give a quick update. The other thing that I came back to, believe it or not, is Sekiro Shadows Die Twice. I did not think I would be coming back to it because I kind of took a rage break for a while. I got really mad at this game and I got really frustrated, put it down. Um... But I just, you know, I don't know. I just kind of came back to it after I took a week off, just cooled off a little bit, talked to some people, um, which I think in itself is kind of telling because I, I am not a believer that the best way to go through a game or like, or like the most genuine way to go through a game is to like read the FAQs and get tips from your friends and to watch the videos and then play the game. Like that to me tells you a lot about game design and if you can't get through a game cold then i feel like that really highlights problems with it and i'm a very firm believer in that uh and i fully admit i had lots of problems i mean i, I talked about this at least twice on the show where i like i like some of what the game is doing and some of it i really can't stand um but i, I kept talking to people i kept watching videos i kept reading up on it because it just kind of bugged me you know like it just kind of bugged me because I've, I've finished all the souls games i've played basically every FromSoft game that's ever been released and to have one where I just quit just really kind of bugged me. Like, it's really bugged me. <laughs> Probably the more the more OCD side of my personality. Um, so I came back to it. And, you know, oddly enough, um, once people had given me some tips about, like, oh, you know, if you go here and get this thing, you can level up your weapon and go here and get this thing and get some more life. Like, once you have a much stronger weapon and once you have a lot more life, uh, that game actually gets pretty fun in the middle. Like, there's a lot of good about that game. I really I like the, the level design. I think the ninja action is pretty cool, like grappling all over the place, backstabbing dudes. Like, it's all pretty good. Um, it's just that opening beginning. And now that I've gotten... I mean, I'm deep in the game now, dude. I mean, I'm, I'm well past the halfway point. Um, and I'm just kind of chipping away at it an hour here and an hour there. Um, and now that I'm in the middle, and I have all, you know, upgraded everything. I've got more weapons to choose from. I've, you know, I've, I've gotten a lot of stat increases and stuff. When the game is not killing you in one or two hits, it's actually a really fun game. And I appreciate, I mean, I appreciate a lot of the finer things about it. I think there's a lot of good in it. But I will say, and I'm, I am absolutely sure of this. I am absolutely sure of this. This is the roughest, most terrible, most sadistic opening to any game FromSoft has ever done. And I've played literally all their games. Um, people think Dark Souls and stuff is hard, but like those games really walk you through it pretty well. And as long as you're paying attention, it's not too bad. Bloodborne really took things uh, in a different direction because a lot of people bailed on Bloodborne in the very beginning because enemies are really tough, you're really weak, and there's a really rough, like, two bosses in a row that you can fight that just wreck your shit if you're not ready for it. And, <laughs> like, a lot of people bailed. That's a rough opening. But I think the opening to Sekiro is even worse than Bloodborne's opening. It's like It's like... It's like daring you to leave. Like, it's like, please get the fuck out of here. We got your $59.99. We don't want you to play anymore. Leave. Get out. 
Like, they're telling you to just get out and don't let the door hit you in the ass on the way out because that opening is rough, dude. Like, you are so weak. There are dudes that will one-shot you around every corner. Like, you you drink your health potion. It only gives you, like, a third of your life back. It doesn't even refill your whole life. I mean, there's all this stuff where it just seems like they are just set up to just fuck you in, like, the worst possible way. It's, it is aggressive. It is aggressive, and it is soul crushing and it is depressing and it is just it's really sadistic they really are out for your ass and not in a good way um but once you get past that opening if 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 you get past that opening which i almost didn't and once you're tough enough to take a couple hits from an enemy without dying once you've got a couple weapons like it's actually pretty cool in the middle like i just i'm i'm in a good part now and i'm i've been blowing through the levels i've been through three or four different zones didn't have very much problem i've killed a couple bosses in a row didn't have very much problem like it just really evened out and that to me just says, why did you make your beginning the way that you did? Like you could have made the entire game like this. Like you could have made your guy stronger at the beginning. You could have made his weapon stronger. You could have, um, you know, done more things to make it easier to play. And then more people would have played the game. More people would have stayed in and enjoyed the other good parts that you got right. Like, I don't understand why they went so fucking aggro in the opening hours. Like it's awful. It's an awful beginning. Uh, but now that I, I suffered through that and I'm in the middle part, it's actually pretty good. I do like it. I'm having a lot of fun with it. Uh, people warn me that it gets vicious at the end again, so I'm kind of bracing myself for that. But now that I'm in the sweet spot, it is it is pretty nice, and I see what they were going for, and I, I kind of appreciate it, but that does not excuse their opening um, and the torture that they put players through. It is really ill-advised and just really poor judgment. I think, I genuinely think they should go back and adjust like the first 10 hours of the game, just make it fucking easier. I don't care what anybody thinks of me. I don't care what anybody says. If they made that first 10 hours easier, made the onboarding process smoother, and killed people less, I think a lot more people would get into this game. And I know it sold really well. It's not a commercial flop at all. I think it was a very, very good selling game for them. But I still don't think that's an excuse. I think that kind of reinforces their bad habits. Um, I really wish they would go back and just mellow things out. I just, I just don't understand why they need to do that. It doesn't serve the game. It doesn't make the game any more fun. It just makes it really frustrating and bitter. And it keeps all the good stuff too far away from people who probably would really enjoy it. So I'm liking it now. I'm, I'm ready to hate again at the end. People tell me to get ready because it is going to get hateful again. Um, so I'm bracing for it. But, but right now, it's, it's in a sweet spot. Every time you talk about this game, my feelings about it flail wildly back and forth. Because before you talked about it, I was like, man, I know what this is going to be. It's not for me. It's going to be too hard. It's going to be garbage. I'm not interested. And then you talked about it. And I was like, okay, maybe I want to play it. Maybe it'd be up my alley. Okay, maybe I'll give it a shot. We'll see. And then you talk about it again. And I'm like, mm, this sounds like garbage. And I never want to play it. <laughs> Where are you right now? Are you in the garbage or are you on the play itself? Oh, I'm, I'm head first in the garbage right now. <laughs> okay, you went back to the garbage. Okay. <laughs> I don't blame you, dude. Like, I, I think that you probably would find some enjoyment if I could somehow fast forward you past the first 10 hours and just get you to the sweet spot. Because I think it's a genuinely cool ninja game. Like, if you like ninja games, if you like action, that kind of thing, I bet you probably would find some fun to be had here. But, like, man, they just want you to climb that hill in the very beginning, and it is brutal. It is just super steep, covered in ice and broken glass and poison, and they just <laughs> want you to push through it and get to the top of that hill. And it's the view is nice once you get there, but it's like, why did you why did you make me do that? Like it just <laughs> ugh, just gets me, man. So I I don't blame you at all. If you want to play it, play it. I'll help you through it. If you don't want to play it, I absolutely respect that. Uh, but yeah, I mean, right now I just I wish they would just 
I wish they would fix the beginning of the game because I think it does not need to be so painful. But uh, anyway, enjoying it now. I'm sure I'll be mad later. I'll have some more ragey stuff to say about it later. And I'm, I'm going to try my best to finish this game. Apparently, there are a couple different endings. There's one where you can get everything, and that's like the really super uber hard one. I guess apparently there's also an ending where if you feel like you've gotten that far and you just want to tap out, you don't want to do the ending stuff, I think there's like a little shortcut for you to just get like, it's not maybe the best ending, but you can just, you know, say you roll credits and tap out. Um, so I guess there's options. Um, but I, at this point I've invested so much time and just out of sheer spite, I feel like I'm going to try to finish it. So, uh, we'll see if I get there. All right. Well, I will leave it on my Gamefly queue. I've got a handful of games on my queue right now, but Gamefly is like not on my good side right now because I, they shipped, uh, Far Cry New Dawn, which I mean, on one hand, I'm not like super pumped about playing cause I'm sure it's going to be just another Far Cry. But on the other hand, like, it is a new game to play, um, you know, especially like a new kind of long console game, because I feel like I've been either playing really short indie games lately, or I've been playing like PC games, and I kind of just want to like, sit my fat ass in front of my TV on the couch again and play something that's like a little bit deeper. And the Far Cry New Dawn shipped from Gamefly, like, I think it was like eight mail days ago. I'm counting Saturdays on this because the mail runs. And it still has not arrived. <laughs> I, was, I was gonna say, how how many female days is that? But it shipped. I think it's been like eight or so days, and I it still has not gotten to my house. And usually, GameFly doesn't take this long. Like usually, if something ships, it'll get to my house kind of like within the week it ships. But it's been like it shipped on Saturday, and it is. I it went through the entire week after Saturday. And then today was Monday, and it did not get here today, and I'm not pleased about this, but I will play through, I don't know if I'll finish Far Cry New Dawn when I get it, but I'll play it, and then I've got some other stuff on my queue. So I don't really order things in my queue in the order that I want them, because it never seems to matter with Gamefly. I mean, because they have, they prioritize things differently depending on how available it is. So like, basically the only way you're guaranteed you can get a game is if you only have that game on your queue and nothing else. But I don't like to do it that way, so I'll get Sekiro eventually, and I'll play it eventually. Maybe it'll be in six months. Who knows? Um, but I'll give it a shot whenever I get it. I don't know if it'll be anytime soon, but I will definitely report back once I play it. Cool, cool, cool. We will talk about it then, and I'm sure I'll talk about it at least one more time uh, when I either quit it or finish it. So we'll see what <laughs> happens. But uh, All right. I think we should probably tap out. Anything left uh, to bring up, or shall we wrap it up? Uh, I think I think I'm good to go. All right, cool, cool, cool. This is the end of the show. Thank you all for listening. Thanks for putting up with another non-standard show. Appreciate it. And thanks for putting up with our our sketchy, unpredictable asses. I know we said we're <laughs> going to get back on track, but life, life happens, folks. Um, anyway, uh, one more reminder. We are giving away PC games this week. If you want to enter, just send us an email and tell us, hey, I want to win a PC game. That's all you got to do. Uh, how you reach us is the same way you send us your comments, thoughts, feedback, ideas, and anything else. Reach us. So video games podcast at gmail.com. Uh, tell us you want to win, share your thoughts. One email address does it all. You can also post comments for us at gamecritics.com. Once the show goes up there, check on the podcast tabs. All the shows go up there. Eventually. Uh, we are also on Twitter as a show collectively at so video games, but you can reach us individually. I am on Twitter and Instagram. B R A D G A L L A W A Y. Corey, where can they find you? They can also find me on Twitter and Instagram. Uh, if anybody's interested, keep a lookout for Comic Palooza pictures coming next week after I go this weekend. Um, 
But my social media handles are also my first and last name. That is Corey Motley, C-O-R-E-Y-M-O-T-L-E-Y. Excellent, excellent. That is it for us for this week. Thank you for joining us for another So Video Games. Uh, remember, no banter this week. This was kind of an all-in-one episode, but we will be back again next week. And in the meantime, this is bye from Brad. And bye from Corey. We will see you guys next week. 